So I want to start this morning uh, by introducing you to, the, uh, to a woman by the name of Margaret Ogilvy. Margaret Ogilvy lived in the 1800s, and while you may not recognize her name, you will recognize the name of a book written by her son. The name of that book is Peter Pan. So Ogilvy experienced great grief and tragedy in her life, including the loss of one of her sons when he was a child. And so James Berry, the author of Peter Pan, he, he often dealt with his grief through stories. And so he tried to capture the, the joy of his childhood through this fantastical story about a flying boy that never grew up. But in the biography that James Berry wrote, about his mother, Margaret Ogilvy, he, he wrote that his mother dealt with her grief by often turning to Scripture. And in fact, there was one passage in particular that she turned to so frequently that when she would lay her Bible down, the Bible would just naturally open up to this passage. That passage was John chapter 14. Ogilvy loved the promise that she read in John chapter 14, but more importantly, she loved the person that spoke the words in John chapter 14. And James Berry writes that when his mother had become so old that she could no longer see the, the words on the pages as they were printed, she would stoop down and she would just kiss the pages that she knew the words were written on. So we're in a series right now, walking through the book of John, and, and we are getting closer and closer to the cross of Jesus. And, and if you remember, for the last couple of weeks, we have been with Jesus and the disciples in this Passover meal in what we call the Last Supper. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, and he has predicted the betrayal of Judas and the denial from Peter. So today, as we continue in our series, we're going to turn to Margaret Ogilvie's favorite passage. We're going to turn to John chapter 14, and we're going to read the very words, the very words that she held so dear to her heart, the very words that gave her great solace in the midst of trouble. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14, John 14 1 through 14. And as you're turning there, let me, let me remind you that as Jesus shared in this Last Supper, as he washed their feet, as he predicted the, the betrayal of Judas, and as he, he predicted the denial from Peter, all of this was in the context of preparing the disciples for him to go to the cross. All of this was in the context of, of him getting ready to leave them. So he says in verse 33, where I'm going, you cannot come. And in verse 36, he says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. So in other words, their rabbi, their, their leader, the one that they have been following, the one that called them out of their professions, the one that they laid their livelihoods down for, he is telling them that now he is leaving them. He is going away. And so naturally, they are beginning to feel some, some maybe some confusion. They're, they're beginning to feel some, some grief. Their hearts are beginning to be, tr to be troubled. And so 
As we read our passage, we're going to see Jesus speak directly to their hearts. He's going to speak directly to what they are experiencing in this moment. So let's read John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So, I've titled this message this morning, Peace in Troubling Times, because as we look at what Jesus is saying, as we look at what the disciples are experiencing, as Jesus has said that he is going to be leaving them, as he is going to be leaving their, their, their midst, the disciples are, are certainly going through what they would consider to be troubling times. And so before Jesus says anything else, he speaks directly to their hearts and he says, don't let your heart be troubled. And so if I could today, I would just ask that you would hear first the compassion in Jesus's voice, the compassion in Jesus's words. I want you to know that, that we serve a God who understands and cares for us. We serve a God who understands and cares for us. Jesus, knowing the difficulty that they would be experiencing in this very moment, knowing the, the, the trouble that they would be experiencing in their heart, very compassionately speaks to them and says, don't let your heart be troubled Remember, this is the same Jesus that just a few chapters earlier, when Lazarus passed away, as he's among all of those that are grieving, all of those that are crying, Scripture tells us Jesus wept. We serve a compassionate God. We serve a God that understands and cares for us. So I want you to hear that today because you may be going through some type of trouble yourself. You may be going through some type of difficult situation or some type of struggle in your life, or maybe you might just look out at the world right now and say, we are living in troubling times. So let me just encourage you to hear these words from Jesus once again. Don't let your heart be troubled. So understand, God 
God knows, God understands us, and he cares. But I also want you to hear what Jesus did not say. I want you to know what Jesus did not say here. Jesus did not say, don't let your lives be troubled. He did not say, don't let your lives be troubled. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. This is important to understand because I think many times we think that as a believer, because we've given our life to Christ, we shouldn't go through any difficulty anymore. Our life should be free from struggle. And maybe we even think if we just have enough faith, we won't go through any struggles. We won't have any trials or tribulations in this life. But Jesus didn't say, don't let your lives be troubled. In fact, scripture tells us the exact opposite to be true. When we get to chapter 16, Jesus is gonna say, you will have suffering in this world. Or some of you may have learned it in this translation, in this world you will have trouble, or in this world you will have tribulation. And ultimately, what what we see with the disciples, with those that were following Christ at this time, after Jesus died and after he was resurrected, those disciples did go through suffering. They did go through troubles and tribulation to the point that many of them, if not all of them, gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. They did endure trouble in this life. So Jesus does not promise for the believer a life free from trouble, a life free from struggles, a life free from tribulation. But recognizing that we will face trials, recognizing that we will face troubles in this life, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. So let me give you a truth that you can hold on to. Even when there is trouble in your life, there can still be peace in your heart. Even when there is trouble in your life, there can still be peace in your heart. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. So as we continue in our passage today, we're going to look at three reasons why we can have peace in troubling times. Three reasons why we can have peace in troubling times. First, we can have peace in troubling times because Jesus prepared a greater place for us. We can have peace in troubling times because Jesus prepared a greater place for us. In other words, this isn't it. The world that we are living in right now, everything that we are going through, whether it is triumphs or whether it is troubles, the world we're living in right now isn't it. We aren't living for this world. Jesus prepared a greater place for us. Verse two says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you, I am going away to prepare a place for you. Jesus points to a greater place that he has prepared for us. So I have lived in several different places in my short 39 years here on this earth. Early on in my life, when I was a child, my dad was a pastor, so by the time I was seven years old, we had already moved three times. So when I was seven, we moved to Rockport, Texas, and we lived there for about 10 years until I graduated from high school. And and Rockport was a nice place to live. We lived uh, on the coast. Our, our house was just within walking distance from the water. But then after we moved away from Rockport, we moved up to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, and when we moved to Tulsa, I lived with my parents for a short time before I moved into the college dorms. And I lived in the dorms throughout college. 
Then when I graduated, Sarah and I got married, and we lived in two different apartments in Tulsa. And then when, when I felt called to go to seminary down here, we moved down here to Fort Worth, and we lived in seminary housing for a short period of time before we moved into the house that we've lived in for the last 10 years. So I share this with you because we may live in lots of different places in this life. We may have lots of different rooms in this life. Do you know that there was a period of time that my bedroom was the family's walk-in closet? It's not even an exaggeration. Over my bed hung a rack of clothes, and next to my bed hung a rack of clothes. My bedroom was the family's walk-in closet until we were able to remodel our house so that I could have an actual bedroom of my own, the walk-in closet was the best option for me. So my bedroom was the family's walk-in closet. So we may have lots of different rooms in this life, but Jesus has prepared a greater place for us. Jesus has prepared a greater room for us. And in heaven, there is no shortage on rooms. He says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. Understand, if you are a believer, when you get to heaven, you are not going to have to live in the walk-in closet, right? There are many rooms. There are plenty of rooms for you. And the place that that Jesus has prepared for us, the, the room that Jesus has prepared is greater than any other room that you could have in this life, greater than any other place that you might live in in this life. But I want you to understand, the place that that we will live in when we get to heaven, the room that we will have when we get to heaven is not greater simply because it's nicer. It is a greater place because it is perfectly in the presence of Jesus Christ. It is a greater place because it is perfectly in the presence of Jesus Christ. Understand, heaven is heaven because of Jesus. Heaven is heaven because of Jesus. Heaven is not heaven because of the streets of gold. Heaven is not heaven because of the crystal sea. Heaven is not even heaven because of all of, th- all of the family members that have passed on that you're looking forward to seeing again one day. You'll get to see them, but heaven is not heaven because of them. Heaven is heaven because of Jesus, apart from the perfect presence of Jesus, apart from the perfect presence of God himself, everything that might be there would be what Solomon called in the Old Testament meaningless and what Paul called in the New Testament rubbish. It would be nothing apart from the presence of Jesus Christ. But now let me highlight the preparation of this place because Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. How many of you in here like fixer-upper type TV shows? Maybe you like the show Fixer-Upper, right? I enjoy those fixer-upper TV shows. I I enjoy watching someone purchase an older rundown house and renovating it, remodeling it, getting getting that house ready for a new homeowner to move into it. And maybe that's the image that you have when you think of Jesus going to prepare a place for you, that Jesus needs to somehow fix up the room for you, to get it just perfect for you, to get it just right for that exact time that you're going to be moving into it. But understand, this is not the type of preparation that Jesus is talking about. 
Jesus does not need to go and fix up the room. He doesn't have to go and build the room. The room is already there. In my Father's house are many rooms. The room is already there for you. Jesus didn't have to do anything to prepare it, to fix it up. The preparation that Jesus was referring to was the work that he was about to accomplish on the cross. Remember, Jesus has just told the disciples that he is about to be glorified, referring to the crucifixion. The cross is the preparation that was necessary for the place to be ready for us. Apart from the cross, there would be no preparation because apart from the cross, there would be no forgiveness. Apart from the cross, there would be no remission of sin. The cross was the necessary preparation so that we might be able to go to this greater place so that we might be able to have this greater room one day. The cross was the preparation. But now let me share one more final thing before we move on to the second reason why we can have peace in troubling times. That word that is translated as many rooms or many mansions could, could more literally be translated as dwelling places. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And so if I could, I, I'd like to draw a parallel for you back with John chapter 1. I feel like I point back to John chapter 1 a lot uh, when I walk through this series. But in John chapter 1, right, we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So I want you to see this. Jesus dwelt in our presence temporarily Jesus dwelt in our presence temporarily, going to the cross so that we might dwell in his presence eternally. Jesus dwelt in our presence temporarily, and he went to the cross so that we might dwell in his presence eternally. So we can have peace in troubling times because Jesus prepared a greater place for us. Second, we can have peace in troubling times because we know the way to that place. We can have peace in troubling times because we know the way to that place. Not only does Jesus tell us that he has prepared a greater place for us, but he tells us the way to that place. Now, initially Thomas is a bit confused. He's not quite sure what, what Jesus is getting at and, and he's got some questions and so, even though I've just said that we do know the, play, the way to that place, right, Thomas says the exact opposite in verse 5. He says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, I've got to admit, I think Thomas gets a bad rap at times. We call him Doubting Thomas because after the resurrection, right, he wants to see Jesus in the flesh. He wants to put his, his fingers in those nail holes and put his hand in the side. He's not going to believe until he, he sees Jesus. And, and here, he's got some questions. Before he, he's ready to just trust whatever Jesus is talking about, he's got some questions. Where are you going, Jesus? And so I think we give Thomas kind of a bad rap at times, but honestly, I think that where Thomas is is where we find ourselves many times, right? We want to trust Jesus. We want to have faith in Jesus, but man, we've got some questions first, right? I know you've called me to do this, God, but how's it all going to work? How's all of this going to, 
to pan out. So Thomas raises this question and Jesus responds in verse six by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's as if as Jesus hears this question, he hears the confusion and concern in Thomas's question. And so it's like he says, oh, but Thomas, Thomas, you do know the way because you know me and I am the way. So let me give you this reminder of hope this morning. If you're here today and you have given your life to Christ, you have trusted him as your Lord and Savior, then today you do know the way to that place. This greater place that he has prepared for us, you do know the way to that place because you know Jesus and he is the way. Understand, the way to heaven is not a path. The way to heaven is a person and that person is Jesus. The way to heaven is not a path. The way to heaven is a person and that person is Jesus But if you're here today and you would say that you have never given your life to the Lord, you've never trusted him to be your Lord and to be your Savior, then to you I would say you don't know the way. You certainly know of the way because you're here listening right now. You know of the way, but you don't know the way because you don't yet know Jesus personally. And if that's you, then I would encourage you today, don't leave today without knowing the way. If you're online, don't log off today without personally knowing the way, without knowing Jesus. Jesus is the way. But Jesus also makes it clear that he is the only way. He says, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. So I'm not the only one telling you that Jesus is the only way. Jesus himself is telling you that he is the only way when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So that means that the God of Islam is not the way, the God of Hinduism is not the way, the God of Buddhism is not the way, and the biggest false God that many turn to, the God of self, you are not the way, I am not the way. Many times we turn to ourselves to be the standard for our lives, and the standard for our salvation even. If I think it, it must be right. If I want to do it, it must be good. But we are not the standard. Jesus is the standard. We are not the way. Jesus is the way. And he is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way. So. We're only a few weeks past Easter Sunday, so let me tell you about my favorite Easter candy commercial. So, my favorite Easter candy commercial comes from 1991, 30 years ago. Let that sink in. 1991 was 30 years ago. So, 30 years ago, the Cadbury Egg released a commercial, right, called the Cadbury Bunny Tryouts. And in this commercial, you have a lion with bunny ears, you have a house cat with bunny ears, you have a turtle with bunny ears, you have a llama with bunny ears. They're all trying out to be the Cadbury bunny, but in the end, the commercial says, there's only one Cadbury bunny. Listen, there is only one way to heaven, 
and that is through Jesus Christ. He is the way. There may be imitations out there, but Jesus is the only way. So the question is, is do you know the way? Do you know the way? Do you know Jesus? And if you're here today and you would say that you do know the way, that you do know Jesus, then you can have peace in troubling times because not only has Jesus prepared a greater place, you know the way to that place. So we can have peace in troubling times because Jesus has prepared a greater place and we can have peace in troubling times because we know the way to that place. Finally this morning, we can have peace in troubling times because we have the presence of God in our lives. We can have peace in troubling times because we have the presence of God in our lives. So after Jesus says that he is the only way to the Father, Philip wants to see the Father, to which Jesus replies to Philip in verse 9 saying, Have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. This is yet another instance of Jesus pointing to his deity, another instance of Jesus pointing to his unity with the Father. So there are a couple of implications here for us. First, to know Jesus is to know the Father. To know Jesus is to know the Father. As as Philip asks to see the Father, Jesus just gives him this gentle rebuke. And in his rebuke, Jesus Jesus points to the closeness that Philip has had with Jesus, and yet even though Philip has been close to Jesus, there still seems to be some lack of understanding with who Jesus truly is. God himself, the creator of all things and the Lord of all things. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. Maybe you would say that you have experienced a closeness to Jesus, or maybe a closeness to the things of Jesus. You come to church, you sing the songs, you read your Bible, you are close to the things of Jesus, and yet there still is a lack of understanding with who Jesus truly is, or, or there still is a lack of submission and surrender to who Jesus truly is. You still have not surrendered to Jesus to be your Lord, to Jesus being your God. So today I would encourage you, don't just stay close to the things of Jesus. Understand who Jesus is, God himself. So to, see, uh, to, to, to know Jesus is to know the Father, and to see Jesus in action is to see the Father in action. To see Jesus in action is to see the Father in action. This is ultimately what Jesus goes on to say when he says, the Father who lives in me does his works. Understand, all that Jesus did in this world, all that Jesus did in his life and ministry was done in full submission to the Father's will. We see this most clearly when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he cries out to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. Everything that Jesus did was in full submission to the Father's will. Jesus did a lot of great things in his earthly ministry. He preached to the multitudes. He healed the sick. But his greatest work, his greatest accomplishment was when he went to the cross 
to die for your sins and for mine. This is where the fullness of God's glory was on display for all of mankind to see. And it was done in submission to the Father's will. So to know Jesus is to know the Father, and to see Jesus in action is to see the Father in action. But now if I could, let me tie this to our final verses today, because just as we see Jesus doing the work of the Father, we see that all those that, that believe in Jesus, all those that follow Jesus will also do the works that he does. In verse 12, Jesus says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. So earlier this year, Tony Wolf of the SBTC, Jairus' uncle, he made the statement, the church's mission during COVID is not to survive. The church's mission during COVID is to know Jesus and make him known. In other words, our mission has not changed. And I would amend that for this message this morning to say the church's mission in troubling times isn't to survive. The church's mission in troubling times is to know Jesus and make him known. The church's mission has not changed. Our mission as the church, your mission as a believer has not changed and does not change with the times. The church's mission and your mission as a believer is the same mission today as it was when Jesus gave it to the disciples all those years ago, right before he ascended to heaven, when he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. As believers, whether we are going through good times or whether we're going through hard times, whether we're going through troubling times, our mission has not changed. We are to continue to be about the Father's work just as Jesus was about the Father's work. But understand, in these troubling times, Jesus has not sent us out on this mission on our own. We have been given God's presence with us for Philip, Jesus was that physical presence of God with him. But for us, following his resurrection and ascension, we have been given the Holy Spirit. God's presence is still actively with us in our lives. And the good news is, is not only do we operate in his power, but we can also call out to God and he will answer us. He will hear us. This is what verses 13 and 14 tell us, that, that really how we are going to accomplish this mission is through prayer, that as we call out to God and ask for his work to be accomplished, he will give us what we ask for. When we call out to God and ask him for his work to be accomplished, he will give us what we ask for. This is why we as a church have been crying out every Tuesday night, asking God to save the lost because when we ask him, when we ask him to accomplish his work, he gives us what we ask for. So in the midst of troubling times, we have this hope that we can continue on 
because we have God's presence with us no matter what. And so the question, the question that I have for you today as we think about having peace in troubling times, the question that I have for you is do you have this peace that I've been talking about? Do you have this peace that I've been talking about because you know that you know that you have Jesus, that Jesus is your Lord. Today, if you're here, if you would say that, that Jesus is your Lord, that you do have Jesus, then to you I would say, don't let your heart be troubled. Experience the peace of Jesus in the midst of troubling times. But if you're here today and you would say that you have never given your life to Jesus, you have never allowed him to be the Lord of your life, to you, I would say, don't let your heart be troubled any longer. Turn to Jesus and receive the peace that only he can give. Receive that peace into your heart.